As we consider coming to the communion table again today, I would like to visit with you about the blood of Abel and the blood of Jesus Christ. Following our four texts that I would like for us to read regarding our subject, if you'd like to turn to Genesis 4, 8 through 16, we will read that text first and uh, then uh, three other brief texts. Genesis 4, beginning with verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. In Hebrews chapter 4, I would like to read verse 4 and Hebrews 12 verse 24 which gives us another perspective from the New Testament. Hebrews 4:11 verse 4 By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. In Hebrews 12:24 to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And one last text is in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. I think that Abel could be listed among these mentioned. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer 
until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Though definitely Jesus is God and Abel was man, there are some similarities in the shedding of their blood. First of all, both died while walking within the will of God. Now that's very important. It's very important that we as believers, when we die, are walking within the will of God. I can't imagine anything worse other than being in hell than entering into the presence of God outside of his will. Oh, we're so stubborn. And sometimes we still argue with God and we say, well, even though I know what I should do, this this is what I want to do. Both died while walking within the will of God. Secondly, both died because of hatred by others. This is still happening all over the world today. Thirdly, both died as martyrs. And that is something that's still happening today somewhere around the world this very moment. There are some who are giving up their lives because of their faith in Christ. Finally, both died by the shedding of their blood. To die by the shedding of one's blood is a terrible, terrible way to die. Again, across our world today, there are those who are dying as their blood is being shed. Now, in Genesis 4.10, God asks of Cain, Why have you done this? The voice of your brother cries out aloud to me from the ground. Cain was caught in the act. Only two other people, I, I would imagine, could have seen him, but it wasn't mom or dad. God always sees everything that we do. He knows exactly what is going on. So I ask a question of you this morning. Does blood have a voice? God said that I heard Abel's blood from the ground. Does blood have a voice? Can it speak? Can it talk? Have you ever heard blood speak? Uh, I have never heard blood speak Personally, but I have at times spoken when I have seen blood. Sure, blood speaks today. It doesn't necessarily have an audible voice, but it speaks basically, as most of us know, through four blood types, type O, type A, type B, type OB. DNA today is a remarkable Discovery that has helped in solving many, many cases. But Abel's blood is still speaking today, but so is that of our Lord. And his is speaking better things for which we should praise the Lord, according to the verse we read in Hebrews 12, 24. The shedding of the blood of Christ is better than the shedding of the blood of Abel. 
Now, when the blood of Abel was shed, there were some serious consequences. And when the blood of Christ was shed, there were some compassionate acts of mercy. With Abel, there were some major losses. And with the shedding of blood of Christ, there were some major gains. I would like to try to bring them to light for us this morning. First of all, Abel's shed blood was motivated by hatred, while Christ's shed blood was motivated by love. Abel's shed blood was motivated by hatred, while Christ's shed blood was motivated by love. Can you imagine the hatred that must have been in Cain's heart because Abel's worship was more acceptable than his? It's even mentioned in the New Testament in another place, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Listen, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Sin is always in the heart before it is in the deed. And we understand that. Sin is always in the heart before it is in the deed. It says that Cain talked to Abel. Have you ever wondered what he said? Did it end in an argument? No doubt being brothers, they may have had a few arguments over the years. I know my brother and I, we had a few arguments If we're of the old nature, there's time that we have arguments. Next thing we know, it says that Cain rose up against his brother in the field and killed him. Just like that. He killed him. How? How did he kill his brother? Well, presumably with a knife or or a sword, because that's how animals were killed in that day. And it says that his blood was on the ground. So we would presume that's probably how Cain took his brother's life. Cain no doubt thought that he had stilled his brother's voice, but Abel's blood had a voice that cried out to God as a witness against him. Now after Cain slew his brother, I wonder how he felt. I wonder if he was afraid. Was he happy? Did he feel like, well, I'm free now? I wonder uh, how he was going to explain that to mom and dad when they wonder where Abel was. How was he going to explain it? Would there be times he wished maybe that he might have thought otherwise? No doubt He had killed animals, but up until this time, a human being created after God's own image had never died or been killed. He actually shed his brother's blood, which was his own blood. I think we uh, can put that into more of a perspective with what you've gone through here uh, in your community. I wonder how long he had to think about it before God said to him, where is your brother? 
I have a lot of questions when I read this, and uh, I'm sure that you probably too. I wonder how long it was. Maybe God just let Cain go for a while and think about everything that he has done until he came and said, where is your brother? What have you done to him? Well, I don't know how long it is, but how long it may have been, but I do know this. God is seldom early, but he's never late. God is seldom early, but he's never late. And sometimes uh, we wonder about that. Maybe some of you have thought, well, are we going to ever get a preacher? Are there any preachers out there that will fit with who we are? Well, God is seldom early, but he's never late. And just at the right time, God will come through for you. Now, if hatred motivated Abel's shedding of the blood, what motivated the shedding of Christ's blood? I would say to you it was love. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We don't hear it much anymore. Uh, especially around uh, the Easter season, but I always loved that song. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. God can do everything. But he laid down his life, and he did this through love. Now, just how strong is the love of Christ? How strong is the love of Christ? The Song of Solomon is a story of Christ's love for his own, described for us in the form of a marriage relationship. Turn with me, if you will, to the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Here we have Christ's love for his bride described as unconquerable, unquenchable, and unpurchasable. Let me read the verses. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Now, verse 6 tells us that his love is unconquerable. How strong, first of all, how strong is death? It says here that love is as strong as death. Well, no power on earth has ever been able to overcome it. Death is strong. It's final. It's terminal. I had a dear pastor friend who was just days away from entering into the presence of the Lord, had been ill for quite some time, and he says, Maynard, you know why I don't go to the airport anymore? I said, no. He said, because there's this big sign that says terminal. (laughs) I once read of a a funeral director who signed all his correspondence, eventually yours. You know, death, it is powerful. 
You've never seen anyone come back from the grave. I haven't either. But it tells us here that love is unconquerable. It is stronger than death. David said of his son, Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. 2 Samuel 12, 23, death is strong. 2 Samuel 14, 14, we must needs die and are as water spilt on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Death is strong. In Job 16, 22, I shall go the way whence I shall not return. Death is strong. But the love of Christ is stronger than death. Death is also as jealous as the unyielding grave, our text tells us. Have you ever seen a grave relinquish its corpse? Certainly not until the resurrection, but love will conquer. Hosea 13:14 is an interesting verse. I will ransom them from the power of the grave, O grave, I will be thy destruction. Now, there are some cults today that believe that God can raise from the dead. Now, we know the Word of God teaches it will happen one of these days. Years ago, when I was pastoring in the Duran community, next door in Flint, there was a pastor that passed away. And he had told his flock, that they should uh, stay and linger and light candles because he would return. And so for weeks they did, but he never was resurrected from the grave. Some people do believe that God will heal. Uh, We know God heals, but we recognize that once one is in the grave, we are in the grave until Jesus comes again. Verse 7 tells us that the love of Christ is not only unconquerable, but it's also unquenchable. It can never be extinguished. It's eternal. It's infinite. It has a depth we cannot fathom, a height that we cannot scale, a length and breadth beyond measure. Now, some of us maybe have been in Washington, D.C., and we've stood at the grave of John Kennedy, and they have there what they call an eternal flame. And as far as I know, it hasn't gone out over all of these years, but uh, we find that the Word of God, we have the love of Christ, is unquenchable. Someday that flame may go out but the love of our Christ never will. I always love the verses of the hymn, When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not o'er thee flow, for I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. Now, the latter part of verse 7 tells us, thirdly, that the love of Christ is unpurchasable. It's not only unconquerable and unquenchable, it's unpurchasable. You cannot put a price on the love of Christ. It's priceless. The crown jewels of England are housed in the Tower of London. Years ago, Anne and I were there. 
and had the privilege of viewing these luxurious crown jewels, which were worn only on special occasions. Well, I was rather young at the time, so I inquisitively asked the curator the purchase price, and he simply said that there is no price. They are not for sale, and they never will be for sale. And my friend, the love of Christ is not for sale. It's a gift. It cannot be bought. It can only be received. You cannot put a price on love that came from heaven above to save a soul from hell below. Abel's shed blood was motivated by hatred, but Christ's shed blood was motivated by love. Second thing I'd like to share with you. Abel's shed blood brought forth a curse while Christ's shed blood brought forth grace. Abel's shed blood brought forth a curse, while Christ's shed blood brought forth grace. God said to Cain in Genesis 4, verses 11 and 12, So now you are cursed from the earth. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on earth. When Adam sinned, God cursed the ground and said in toil, you will eat of it. But Cain receives a double curse. He says, when you till the ground, nothing will come of it from now on. This is the same ground Cain had thought covered Abel's blood. This was the same ground that had produced, I'm sure, such beautiful, luscious fruit that Cain brought to God in worship. And now it says that this ground, you will never be able to produce anything from it. Even if Cain could produce fruit from the land, he would not be able to stay long enough to harvest it because God said, you'll be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. A fugitive is one running from home, and a vagabond is one who has no home. For the entire rest of his life, he would wander aimlessly in a state of continual motion. How is that for a curse? You read his story. It's not a good story at all. But on the other side of the coin, the shed blood of Christ brought forth grace. Now, the world sings amazing grace all the time, but most of the people don't really understand how amazing this grace is. A friend of mine once said that grace is God's best idea, and I like that. We're so thankful for his grace. In Romans 5, 20 and 21, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Abel was described as a righteous man. So Abel's shed blood brought forth a curse, but a forgiving God through the shed blood of Christ brought forth grace. And grace turns us from fugitives and vagabonds into pilgrims who are on their way to a sacred place. 
the third thing I'll share with you this morning. Abel's shed blood brought forth farness from God, and Christ's shed blood brought nearness to God. Abel's shed blood brought farness from God, but Christ's shed blood brought nearness to God. There's a big difference between farness and nearness. Remember, some of you, your dating days, when you were so far away and you couldn't wait to see each other. In those days, we didn't have cell phones and we didn't, couldn't afford to even call long distance. So we would write notes, but we anxiously looked forward. Ann and I always looked forward to those times when we could be together before we were married. Remember those long business trips, some of you, when you were away from home for a long time and you yearned once again to get back home. You were so far away. Maybe you remember when the kids moved away from home. They were so far away. Some people say life begins when the kids leave home, but really life doesn't begin until the kids leave home and the dog dies. Oops. <laughs> Separation from family at holiday times, the loss of a loved one. Those are difficult times when we seem to be so far apart. Well, upon the shedding of his brother's blood, Cain said, You have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. That's not a place you want to be, my friend, hidden from the face of God. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, which is interpreted the land of wandering. Sometimes sin removes us from the presence of the Lord, and sometimes it's just self. Jonah did that, remember, three times it says in chapter 1 that Jonah went out from the presence of the Lord. I think that was true of Demas also. Paul said of Demas, Demas has forsaken me, having loved the world. You never imagine traveling with Paul and being in his presence, watching how God used him, and then something grabbed Demas's attention and took him back into the world. We have to be very careful of that. There are so many things out there today that are trying to lure us back into the world. Well, in either instance, whether sin removes us from the presence of the Lord or we do it ourselves, not to be in the presence of God is not the place for a believer to be. Psalm 18.30, as for God, his way is perfect, and that's exactly where we want to be. Now, did Cain have any regrets after confronted by God? Without question. He said, my punishment is greater than I can bear in verse 13. But do you notice what's missing in this story? There's not the faintest indication of repentance. Pity, yes. Pity that uh, maybe he got caught and caught by God at that. But sorrowful repentance, we don't see it. But here's the blessing. The shed blood of Christ brings nearness. Turn to Ephesians 
chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see that without Christ there is farness from God, but with him there is nearness. Notice the farness from God of those in the world in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. There we have the farness of God. But in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up as together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. And then we slip down to verse 12. And that at that time you were without Christ. You were far away, in other words, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now notice verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. A good question for you to ask is right now at this very moment, am I far off from God or am I nearby? Am I far off from God or am I nearby? What I have described for you this morning is two cultures, two worldviews that have existed ever since the fall of man. The secular worldview and the Christian worldview. It should not surprise us that the world in which we live is filled with hatred and nations that curse one another. And we live in a world that's far, far away from God. Why? Because the God of this world is Satan. The Christian worldview, a view through the eyes of God, is what I have tried to share with you today. Unimaginable love, amazing grace, and a nearness to God made possible through the shed blood of Christ and resurrection from the grave. So how should I respond to these texts this morning? What might I learn that might help me in my relationship with God today? One thing for sure, the shed blood of Christ speaks better things than that of the shed blood of Abel. Hebrews 12:24 that we read earlier. Well, does it give me a better view of what's happening in our society and around the world today and Maybe even what happened here in your community this week? What about my own personal relationship with God? God does not accept good works, or as the song in the world says, I did it my own way. There's only one way, and that's God's way. 
Now, if the shedding of Christ's blood is not of supreme significance, why then are we commanded to come to the Lord's table in remembrance of him on a regular basis? Oh, listen, nothing is more important than what can wash away our sins. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Calvary covers it all. My past and its sin and stain, my guilt and despair, Jesus took on him there, and Calvary covers it all. Well, what alone? What alone can remove that hatred that's in this world? What can remove the the curse of hell on every lost soul? What is it that can reconcile us back to God? The shedding of Abel's blood simply exposes the purpose of sin when finished, and it brings forth death, but not so of the blood of Christ. There are so many voices today that are crying out in our world, so many primary influencers out there that are speaking to us, but there's only one voice that matters And that is the voice that speaks from within the Word of God. And if that voice through the Holy Spirit might be saying something to you today, I sure hope that you are listening. Let's pray before we come to the table. Our Father, we... Thank you for this blessed book. And this morning as we have looked into the account of Cain and Abel and the shedding of Abel's blood and how it still speaks today too, but we thank you more for the precious blood of Christ shed for us because he loved us. And we thank you, Father, that those that come to the cross and confess their sins can find rest and peace and assurance of a home in heaven. Oh, as we come to the table today, may we reflect upon our own personal relationship with you to see if we are near to you or if we are far from you. Oh, that we all might be near to you and give you praise for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.